my name is Justin McClure, and I'm here today with... Will Sloan. And you're listening to The Important Cinema Club. And today, we're talking Tyler Perry. Expect some wild tonal shifts in this podcast. <laughs> half heavy melodrama, half aggressively wacky comedy. <laughs> Tyler Perry is a name that everybody knows, but most people consider, ah, eh, he's bad. Well, most people that we know, white, middle-class people. <laughs> but, you know, he is incredibly popular. I was looking online, and one of the years that he was making his movies, he was one of the most high-earning creative people. He made something like $120 million. And, you know, on this podcast, we uh, often like to talk about black filmmakers. We often like to... That's two white guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, we often like to talk about filmmakers who are outside of our frame of reference. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now we're talking about not only one of the most successful black filmmakers, but one of the most successful black moguls, period. Yeah, I like mean, all of his films are independent productions. That's why he makes so much money. He, uh, Tyler Perry started with nothing, built it up through stage plays, which really allowed him to um, start a brand, move to movies, and those were big financial successes as well, and then has just kept on trucking. He has TV. You know, he has that. so much merchandise, like books, dolls, everything. And I think it's fair to say he burst into white consciousness on one weekend in 2005 when out of nowhere a movie called Diary of a Mad Black Woman opened at number one at the box office. It was his first like main feature film. He did not direct it but it might as well be a Tyler Perry production. And, and it's the only Tyler Perry production that he didn't direct. Yeah. It was directed by, hang on, I've got the guy's name here, Darren Grant. Yes, who directed one or two other films but was mostly known as a music video director. Now, this movie when it came out it has 16% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. There's a review by Roger Ebert where Ebert, the, the general tenor of the review was, uh, you know, there's a potentially compelling drama in here, but what the hell is the deal with this grandma character? Who, keeps... <laughs> who is this grandma, Will? Uh, well, that is Tyler Perry's signature character, Medea. Who, we should state right from the get-go, Tyler Perry hates. He hates Medea. He doesn't want to play her. He wishes she was dead. But like any good businessman, he will always keep her alive as long as the fans want more of her. I mean, if you look at the box office for his films, the ones with Medea tend to make 10 or 20 million more than the other ones. And some of them that have Medea in the title, like Medea Goes to Jail... Barely has any Medea in it. <laughs> but uh, Medea, uh, what can you say about Medea? She's wacky. Um, she's she's... gun-toting grandma. Yep. She's foul-mouthed, pot-smoking, but she's got a lot of uh, folksy wisdom. That's right. And she a lot is... of bad wisdom as well. Yeah, yeah, well, we'll get to that. She is played by Tyler Perry herself. Now, the critical reaction to his films, almost uniformly negative, and it's not merely a, a racial divide, I would say. There's also a class divide because, of course, there are huge debates about his films and his, his messages, messages in yeah. the black community as well. Many middle class uh, black critics are ambivalent at best about him. Mm. Um, I mean, what's interesting about Tyler Perry to me is, I mean, there are a lot of things that are interesting, but he has created a style, a grammar, all his own. I watch these movies and 
they do not conform to my expectations of what a well-made movie are and yet he speaks very strongly to his audience on his own terms like he's not a Tommy Wiseau situation he's created a whole style of his own that speaks very strongly yeah people react they give the money he keeps making movies and it's like the the incredible jarring tonal shifts from bananas heavy heavy melodrama and we should note that when we talk about these Tyler Perry movies, do we treat them the same way? We're like, ah, this crazy Hong Kong comedy. N- not necessarily. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't find these movies as funny as no, the best or entertaining. Hong Kong comedies. I don't find them particularly moving. But a lot of times, people will talk about like, ah, these crazy wild tonal shifts, which outside mm-hmm. of North America is usually a pretty regular thing. Well, I mean, these movies remind me most of all of the Bollywood yeah, movies. Or even South Korean films. Yeah. Like, it, it's something that North America tone, especially screenwriters, they talk about how important it is. And this is not something that is important to Tyler Perry. You know, I was talking to a critic once who used to be a theater critic and mm. would see that the Tyler Perry plays. These plays would tour around America, particularly in the South. And uh, I think Diary of a Mad Black Woman, Medea's Big Happy Family, mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever, like a lot of them began life as stage plays. And I imagine they work better as stage plays. This critic I was talking to said that they were very fun as stage plays. There was a much different energy. But I think that, you know, while I'm trying to cushion like, ah, you know, when we talk about these, should we go through a different uh, mode of analysis? I should also say that these movies are incredibly misguided. <laughs> and Tyler Perry as a storyteller is all over the map. It's not just a change of tone. It's you watch these movies and you're going, what is he trying to say here? And I don't even think Tyler Perry knows. Because Diary of a Mad Black Woman, which is essentially the story of a woman that uh, breaks up with her man. Well, the man kicks her out. Yes. Uh, The woman played by Kimberly Elise and the man played by Steve Harris. Mm -hmm. And you're like, where is this going to go? It's pretty clear who's wrong to the party. Yes, it it is. It's the woman. Because she's been married to this very rich man for a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, she she has been his loyal, loyal, loyal wife. And how has he repaid her? By having an affair, having children out of wedlock. And finally, he's just like, you know what? Get out. But one of the issues is that, like, Tyler Perry shows this woman to be such a doormat the entire time, misreading every single situation. <laughs> like, oh, he, he just bought me a bunch of new clothes. It's like, no, I'm kicking you out. This is my new wife's clothes. <laughs> oh, she is Christ on the cross. There's yes, no doubt about it. The entire time. And she treats everybody like garbage during the entire movie. At one point, um, her husband or ex gets her a moving van and she forces the mover to drive around for hours and then kicks him out and steals the vehicle. That mover, by the way, becomes the new love interest in the film. Who, speaking of doormats. Oh my God. (laughs) So she goes to live with her grandmother, Medea. Very funny. Uh, You know what? Uh, (laughs) You can admit this right here. As I was watching these movies, I I definitely realized that I like the ones with Medea in them more. Everybody does. I think think Tyler Perry is a very talented actor. Yes. He can be very funny as Medea. Even though that like a scene where Mm -hmm. Medea is calculating how much uh, the (laughs) ex-husband owes her is then um, uh, punctured by the woman going, and he beat me too. And then it cuts to Medea going, oh, it's going to be a lot more money for that. And she's like tabulating it on an adding machine. Yes. And there's a part where like 
uh, Kimberly Elise and Medea go to the ex-husband's oh, house. The best scene of the movie. Well, and, almost. Well, the I, ending. I, the ending is pretty <laughs> yeah. insane. But Medea comes with a fucking chainsaw. Well, she does not come with a chainsaw. You do not see this chainsaw <laughs> until halfway through the scene, where suddenly you hear, and she's cutting up furniture like a Looney Tunes yeah. cartoon character, interrupting a scene where the husband is beating his ex-wife. I mean, this is the quintessential Tyler Perry scene, right? Yes, <laughs> where it's like this heavy, heavy melodrama punctured by Medea just just acting like Bugs Bunny. There's more going on in this movie. There's a lot going on in this movie. Uh, Medea, of course, has a brother, one of the most beloved characters in the Perryverse. This is Uncle Joe, played Oof. also by Tyler Perry. As very a, problematic. <laughs> a, a, uh, a flatulent old man. Yes, very horny. Yes, but, you know, because Tyler Perry also wants you to know that he's a young and attractive man, he also casts himself as Joe's son, Brian. And Brian is dealing with issues of his own because (laughs) his estranged wife is a junkie Mm -hmm. and uh, they've got a daughter together and he's hoping that his wife will come to Jesus. And how is the conflict between him and his daughter? It's his daughter wants to join the the church choir. Mm -hmm. And as Tyler Perry says, I'm not letting my daughter join the church choir. That's what my wife did, and she's a junkie now. (laughs) I don't know where the connections are made, but that is the main problem that Tyler Perry has. Uh, Yeah, it's it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, And I would say the whole junkie story is like one too many things in the (laughs) movie, but this is definitely... It's Masala, man! But yeah, I mean, of the Tyler Perry movies I've seen, this first one is by leaps and bounds my favorite just because it's the slickest. It's the slickest. I mean, it's directed by somebody else. Maybe that has something to do with it, but it's 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 got the fastest pace, I would mm-hmm. say, and it's kind of the wackiest. I mean, it has the most ins- mm, I don't know if it's the most insane climax. We're going to talk about another movie, uh, but what happens is that Helen, the woman who is the mad black woman of the title and is having the argument with her ex husband Charles, falls in love with this man uh, played by Shamir Moore, uh, Orlando, that she treats like garbage the entire time, constantly throwing lemonade in his face, uh, calling him poor and stuff like that, but they fall in love. Who knows why? There's a montage. Yeah. And he finally proposes marriage to her when... Uh-oh, she sees on the television that her husband, who's a lawyer, has been shot by the drug dealer that he was working for, so, paralyzing him. And this is where the Christian themes of the movie come in, because Tyler Perry's Christianity sounds, you know, is quite a bit like self-help mumbo-jumbo. Yes, and it's also, let's just utilize it when we're coming to the end of the movie and we need a message, but up until then, doesn't really matter. So she goes to nurse her soon-to-be ex-husband back to health. Mm, nurse is a strong word, because what does she do? Well, she abuses him. <laughs> and not in, like, a comedic... Well, does Tyler Perry think this is supposed to be comedic? Does he supposed? Does he think it's some kind of vindication? I don't think he thinks it's supposed to be comedic. Mm-hmm. Because, but, like, is, is it supposed to be satisfying to the audience that this evil man who's treated her like garbage the entire time, she now has him paralyzed from the uh, neck down, and what does she do to him? She slaps him. She throws him in a pool and lets him drown for like a minute. Okay, but he is also a comic book supervillain. Yeah, they're all supervillains. You know, as she's trying to care for him, he's saying something like, you know, I told you to leave. Mm-hmm. The one thing I wanted you to do is leave. He's just being absolutely awful to her. And, you know, like 
so many good Christians, she is sometimes tempted by sin, the <laughs> sin being to slap her husband. And to allow him to drown, and she's like, stop making those bubbles in the water. She leaves him alone in a room for two days at one point. But eventually she forgives him, at, not because What the of, fuck is this bullshit? Not because of him, but to let the anger uh, go from herself. Yes. To embrace a life without bitterness. So the problem with this is... She's already had her revenge. She's tortured him for weeks. That's right. And then she's like, forgive him. And it's like, okay, I already, I had my cake and I ate it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I can just move on from there. Yeah, it's yeah, like Tyler yeah. Perry wants, you know, the characters to have everything without like actually, you know, forgiveness would be before you have your revenge. Now you may be wondering what's going on with that third Tyler Perry, the young Tyler Perry and his junkie ex-wife. Well, <laughs> his junkie ex-wife comes to Jesus pretty literally. There's this... <laughs> Big climactic scene at the church where the gospel music is playing. Mm -hmm. Big gospel song. Who barges in the door but the junkie wife singing. Yes. Singing a gospel song. And everybody lives happily ever after. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is... I like this movie. The quintessential Tyler Perry movie. (laughs) It's a bunch of, like, very vague themes, melodrama hitting up with insane, just broad comedy. And... you're not sure how to take it. I mean, I don't even think Tyler Perry cares that much because he's just throwing it all at the screen, not really thinking of the bigger picture. Well, I think the tonal shifts must have worked better on stage. Mm-hmm. Like, stage is is a less real environment, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I know that both in movies and in theater, like, you know, people people talk back to his production. Yes. There's a lot of heckling. Like, I imagine it's more interactive. The energy is much different. Well, I read someone said that, like, Tyler Perry always wanted to be a stand-up comic. And I mean, I don't know if he vocalized that himself, mm-hmm. but... That's like his Medea character. That's what he's going for. But he has never been able to find the avenue to do that because what the thing that became successful wasn't him that he's been struggling with like, ah, this is the most famous thing, but I actually really want to be doing something else. I want to be making non-Medea movies like... Um, Good why, deeds, <laughs> yeah. Or why did I get married too? Which me and Will watched. Yeah. Um. So, so something nice about that I'll say about Tyler Perry is his movies like do give you stuff that you never see anywhere else. That is true. So, I mean, in addition to all the stuff we just described, how many movies do you see that are about black middle-class life? How many movies do you Mm -hmm. see that show you, um, you know, black Christian life, particularly in the South and not from an exoticized white perspective? Not Not that many. How many movies do you see where there are four black women, four good black actresses talking to each other? Well, there's a classic thing, which is like, there are so many good black actors that cinema is just not utilizing. They're all sidekicks. They're all whatever. You may get one black woman in a movie. Yes, that's pretty much it. You might. Yeah. But like just the entire cast being black? No. Very rarely. How about the entire cast all being cartoony supervillains as well? Because that is the plot of I. Uh, Why Did I Get Married To? A sequel to a movie that I didn't watch, but I read about. And watching uh, How Did I Get Married To? I could not believe these people had been in another movie. I know. So I, <laughs> I did no research on this series yeah. before going into this second one. It was one. A, the same couples in the first movie as well. I mean, it just, uh, this could have been the first in the series. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like I missed anything at all. Yes. This movie was two hours long and it nearly destroyed me. It was a mumblecore film is what I said. And you're absolutely right. <laughs> yep. 
because <laughs> long oh rambling conversation. Oh my god! The first hour of this mm-hmm. up to the moment when, if this were a play, it would be a dramatic intermission. Yes, a bunch of couples um, go to a yearly. How does this happen every year, considering how much of a meltdown they had this year and in the last movie they had as well, um, to kind of vent any problems and just talk it out? Yeah, it's a couple's retreat. And l- listen, folks, I mean... Like that classic of Vince Vaughn, white people movie, uh, Jennifer Aniston, couple's retreat. Which I think is probably worse than this. <laughs> yes. I haven't seen it. but So I just want to I just want to uh, share my notes mm-hmm. with, with the listeners, because I did keep track of who all these couples were. Okay. Uh, you've got... Uh, Terry and Diane, played by Tyler Perry and Sharon Leal, seemingly very happily married, but it seems that Diane is having not an affair, but an emotional affair, an eyes wide shut style affair. Can we let's go? I want to run through their stories to the end, each of them, one after the other. Okay. It would get too jumbled. Sure. So I think that the Terry and Diane story is the, I guess, the simplest and the one which has. The most like horrifying ending that never gets resolved mm-hmm. because what ends up happening is that it's revealed that Diane is having an emotional affair with one of her coworkers, and Tyler Perry actually says, you know what? That's worse than just having sex. Because men, they just have sex and don't fall in love, but women are emotional creatures. And it's like, oh my god, what is this? I mean, we'll leave that open to the listeners. Listeners, yep. what do you think? Uh, That's Tyler Perry's perspective? Uh, yep. And every, uh, I mean, I was reading a review, and the reviewer pointed out, he's like, everybody has an emotional affair like uh, seven times a week. Yeah. <laughs> so, the fact that, and he tricks her into telling him as well. He's like, just tell me. Listen, we're a couple. Once you tell them, he's like, you're, de- you're dead to me. Yeah. And then he leaves. And it doesn't get resolved. No, that's it. <laughs> well, that's for part three. Yeah. And then you also have... Um... There is Patricia and Gavin, played by Janet Jackson, folks. Janet Jackson and Malik Yoba. Yeah. And they dramatically announce at the midpoint, towards the end of this couple's retreat, that they are filing for divorce. Wait, I don't want to talk about them because they serve the epilogue of this film. Because we also have my man, Michael J. White, yes. playing... Uh, he plays Marcus, who's a somewhat well-known TV sports commentator and his very shrewish i think is the word you're yeah, looking for very loud and disruptive wife angela played by tasha smith and she is constantly uh, suspicious of and accusing of him of having affairs and uh, he probably is yeah well he wasn't the first one and he got an std mm-hmm. but then it was revealed that it was angela who was also cheating on him that oh. gave him the std what a mess so the <laughs> Their relationship hinges. The big dramatic thing is she wants the password to his phone. Mm. They're the comedic center of the film, I guess, because it's supposed to play as a joke that she doesn't trust him, that she actually tracks how many miles he drives in his car. And she said that she takes his pulse every time he walks in the door. And I never for one second found their plight funny. No, it's kind of sad. It rung too true. I think it's sad. You know who's funny? Michael J. White should be in more comedies. I agree. It's too bad that, you know, the the meatiest role that he gets is in this movie. It is. And it's revealed at the end, no, he just loves her. But uh uh-oh, he is actually cheating on her. Also, there's a uh, love triangle between Sheila, played by Jill Scott, her new hubby, Troy, played by Lamar Rucker, and her ex-husband from the first movie, Mike, Richard T. Jones, who for some reason shows up at the couple. (laughs) so weird. (laughs) Uh, Like you said, maybe work better on stage, because here it's like, what is going on? Her ex-husband, who was very abusive to her in the first movie, is back here as 
Ah, he's kind of a likable guy now, I guess. I mean, he's part of the fraternity. You can't yeah, kick him out, weird. I guess. It's revealed that her ex-husband has cancer. Um, you know, uh, mixed signals are had. But nothing too big happens out of this storyline. But there is a very dramatic storyline between Gavin, played by Malik Yoba, and Patricia, played by the biggest star in the movie. Yes, even bigger than Tyler Perry himself, arguably. Janet Jackson. Playing, I mean, they're both playing completely deranged people. She's supposed to be the, she wrote a big famous book about marriage and dealing with it, but she herself can't open up and confront the fact that she got in a car accident and her child was not buckled into the safety seat and he died. Mm -hmm. And them dealing with that transforms to, like you said, divorce, which is understandable if a situation where two people can't connect, but then boils into horrifying um, scenes of physical abuse between both of them that looks like it could have escaped from a Gaspar Noé film. Just suddenly drenched in blue light, Gavin comes in drunk, starts like beating Janet Jackson, pouring vodka in her face, biting her face. Climaxing with him burning the album of photos they have of their dead child. Ugh, it's like, oh my god! It's, it's horrifying and sad without ever, at least for me, connecting Yeah, because it seems disconnected from anything going on, and yeah. it's such an extreme jump. But don't worry, everything gets solved at the end when Janet Jackson goes to his work with a cake where a very um, caricatured gay man pops out, and then she calls Gavin and emasculates him until he rushes out of his place of work, jumps in his car, and then gets hit by a bus and dies. Now... To this sad story, yes. this deranged, depressing story, there is a happy ending <laughs> because in the very final scene of the movie, and yes, we are going to spoil it. We, we have to. Uh, she's It's a year later. She's teaching at the local university and someone says, hey, we have this donor. He just he's he's a fan of yours. He just wants to talk to you. Can, mm. you, can you please do us a favor? And who is the donor? It is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Camera starts on his feet. Hands up. Oh, we were supposed to be on Janet Jackson's side all along? Tyler Perry, when he reaches the end of his movies, he goes, everybody who's still alive has to have a happy ending, no matter how they acted, no matter what the consequences. It is so flabbergasting an ending after she essentially drove her husband to his death, uh -huh. <laughs> whether he deserved it or not. But she gets a happy ending because, you know, that's how these movies work out. You want to leave with a smile on your face, right? Uh, yeah, and I did. <laughs> yeah, I did too. I'm glad I stuck it out for the two hours <laughs> because this movie, it, it, it's so slow. It is. Oh a lot God. of people hanging out. And just chit chat, and you're like, what? What is this conversation like? What does it add story wise? And Tyler Perry's visual and editing style very prosaic. Yes, he's directing now. Yes, um, and you know, plot the camera down, a lot of shot reverse shot, always taking place in these kind of sterile McMansions. Mm -hmm. Which is funny because in Diary of a Mad Black Woman, he seems to kind of point his finger at um, the two leads because they're rich. Because in his early films, he was like, ah, they're not middle class, so they're not good people. That idea of, you know, they're turning their back mm -hmm. on people who don't have the means. Which is funny because the mansion that Tyler Perry uses to show this richness is his own mansion <laughs> that he has. There's no disconnect yeah. there for him. He's just like, hey, yeah, this He's is like normal. Adam Sandler. You yeah, know? exactly. It's like one of the, it, it, honestly, Why Did I Get Married To feels like one of the grown-ups movies. And if, if it had horrifying turns yeah. in it. Yeah, and was not as funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You know what Why Did I Get Married To needs? Medea. 
I agree. And you got her in Boo, uh, is it a Medea Halloween? That's right, Boo, a Medea Halloween. Which is supposedly a reaction to uh, the movie Dear White People making fun of Tyler Perry. Right. You know, we mentioned earlier that Tyler Perry is a contentious issue in black critical Mm -hmm. circles in the black intelligentsia. In Dear White People, there's a scene, it's been a while since I've seen it, so I can't mm. fully remember, but like they try to go, they try to find any black movie at the local multiplex, and all that's playing is something called Boo, a Medea Halloween. <laughs> yep. And it's a point about, you know, what an underserved audience they are. Well, Tyler Perry, I guess, must be a very sensitive, easily scarred man because he decided to take that and turn it into a movie, which is also set on a college campus. Which is was a massive hit as well. Yes. <laughs> so Certainly made he more, showed them. Made a lot more money than Dear White People, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry to say. So I think we know who the quality <laughs> filmmaker is here, Tyler Perry. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted more Medea in your movies, Boo gives it to you. A, a little too much. <laughs> you think so? Yeah. You need that drama for her to run up against? For me, Diary of a Mad Black Woman had it all in good proportion. Okay, because <laughs> Boo, a Medea Halloween, is about Medea's grandchildren i think yeah so uh tyler perry is back in three roles playing the same three roles from diary of a mad black woman i don't know what has happened in the medea verse mm. in between i I've, there's one of his other movies i've seen i've mm. seen a medea christmas yeah, okay is that a tv movie no it played in theaters and it okay. was really bad and had larry the cable guy in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so from what i've read tyler perry doesn't really care about continuity he can give her give it or, or take it yeah. supposedly uh, the move the medea movie after diary of a mad black woman he takes off his uh, house arrest bracelet and puts it on a dog, which is a very brief sight gag in Diary of a Mad Black Woman. But it is the center of the narrative <laughs> of the next picture that he made. But boo, a Medea Halloween. Medea's hanging out with her pals, two of them that are new to this movie. Right. Well, okay. Uh, you don't need to name them all. They don't matter in the yeah, plot. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But Tyler Perry is also back as Joe's son, Brian. Br- Brian's daughter is now 17 years old. She's a freshman at college. Yep. She, she wants to go party. She wants to go partying on Halloween. She wants to go to the local frat house. Of course, you know, these are not good Christian values over mm-hmm. there. So uh, Brian is putting his foot down. No, you've got to stay home. Well, he goes out to a party, I assume. <laughs> well, the big centerpiece scene of the movie is a scene between the three Tyler Perry's, Brian, Medea, and Uncle Joe. Oh, the scene is so good. Where just Medea says that... Uh... <laughs> That uh, real Tyler Perry should beat his daughter. That's right. <laughs> yep. And you're like, who am I supposed to side with? But then Tyler Perry, as the dad, is like, no, when you beat me, you beat me so badly that I lost one of my testicles. Okay, yeah. And it keeps cutting back and forth between these three Tyler Perrys. It's like a funhouse <laughs> of Tyler Perry. And the scene and goes on forever. for 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Which is funny because Tyler Perry must have had to, like specifically know who would say what to keep it flowing the entire time Mm -hmm. but he pulls it off and the rest of the movie is like Medea is like chased by a bunch of frat house people that are trying to scare her it doesn't really matter yeah so the daughter of course sneaks off she goes to the frat house the police raid the frat house it all uh, well it climaxes (laughs) in a scene that had my jaw gape where um, they all go back to the frat house and they find a dead body in the basement. And it goes on and on. And they arrest the children. They're they all put... hoarded into a police boss. Yep, that's right. But it turns out it's all a prank just to teach gaslighting them, them. Teach them a valuable lesson about uh, not partying on Halloween. <laughs> it is. Or just not speaking up to your father. 
Right. That's a real and lesson. And they got the local police to participate in the ruse, <laughs> yes. too. Horrifying. That will scar them for the rest of their lives. Yes. And uh, Medea says that we all learned a valuable lesson. <laughs> yeah. Did she fire a gun up in the air? Not enough Medea waving a gun around in this film. I agree. I yep. agree. But I expected more from the premise of mm. a Medea Halloween. I was hoping there would be monsters. <laughs> There like was, real monsters? Yeah, like there are some scenes where she's sort of spooked by the frat boys who kind of look like zombies yeah, or whatever. Doing you know. like um, cartwheels and stuff well, like that. Well, I mean, not much happens in this movie. There are, what, three locations? <laughs> yep. Well, you compared it to uh, the Bowery Boys meet the monsters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's it's that sort of movie. I mean, the comedy is Bowery Boys level, but it's like... It doesn't even have real as, monsters. It doesn't even have as, have as much going on as a Bowery Boys Wait, movie. Wait, are there real monsters in the Bowery Boys movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there are? Okay, yeah. so come on, Tyler Perry. I guess it wouldn't... There's a guy in a gorilla suit. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I mean, if Boo and Medea Halloween had a guy in a gorilla suit... Well, oh. then it would be terrific. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted something more like Ernest Scared Stupid. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I agree. I don't think Tyler Perry's interested in going down those avenues. I mean, what he is interested in is being respected, because between those Medea pictures, he'll make one with... Idris Elba. He'll make one with Angela Bassett. Mm-hmm. He'll uh, adapt a feminist stage play that is composed of just poems uh, for, for colored, colored girls, girls yeah. but then he'll completely mangle it and make it an anti-feminist movie. I mean, his movies have lots of good actors in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's because it's all like it, it's uh, all black ha- actors it's who all have, have nowhere else to go. Yeah. Um, you know, Why Did I Get Married 2 has a scene with uh, Louis Gossett Jr. and Cicely Tyson mm-hmm. together. Cicely Tyson's also Medea's, I think, daughter in, in the first movie <laughs> acting their hearts out and why did i get married to yeah it's it's like kind of a good scene in, mm-hmm. in that movie and um you know what can you say about tyler perry i mean his his i mean another thing that his movies offer you that you don't get very often is these are wide release movies that are about family and relationships uh but and, they are absolutely deranged yeah like. i mean i'm sorry that this is the one guy who's who's making these like things. i don't want to say like oh that they're just bad because i think that when people talk about tyler perry they talk about them in those terms a lot like ah, mm-hmm. eh, boring bad but what people don't understand is that like how just out there his movies are and what's kind of startling about it is that this is what's the most popular well i mean it's all the that audience they have has. yeah that's and, what i mean and i sometimes wonder because he has a lot of fans. A lot of people love these movies. A lot of people are moved by these movies. And I'm sure they were probably very fun to watch in a, in in like, a theater. Yeah. Especially when they were stage plays. Mm-hmm. I am willing to believe that he was a very good entertainer as, as a stage artist. And my question is, if there were more options, if there were more, you know, populist black filmmakers who made movies about black people. Would Tyler Perry be as popular as he is? Is that the question that you're asking? Yeah, I guess I guess I'm curious. And Mm. I I'm not it sounds like a leading question. It sounds Mm. like I'm saying he wouldn't be, but I'm genuinely not sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We're two white guys. We don't have that kind of perspective, I think. Yeah. We can just look at um, Diary of a Mad Black Woman and go, oh my god, it's insane. I mean, the film has a mommy dearest joke in it, <laughs> which <laughs> made me laugh. Yeah. I'm glad to have spent a little time in this universe. Yes. Um, I don't know if I, I want to go back. I will not be a regular scary. visitor. You know what? It would be something, you know, if... <sighs> Like you said, even seeing them in a cinema, I think, would be fun uh-huh. to see the audience reacting to it in the way I feel like Tyler Perry, he's going for those extremes because he wants those reactions. Mm-hmm. So, Justin, do we have any letters today? We do have some letters. And this one is from Andrew Barr. And it goes, question time. Hey, guys, since it's getting close to Halloween time, I got to thinking, is Rob Zombie the 21st century version of Ed Wood? 
a director who seems to need to make movies and has a very singular vision that doesn't always seem to line up with the mainstream audience he seems to want to appeal to, yet still seems to have a following, seems to have a set of stock players who appear in all of his movies and he keeps casting actors whose careers have ended long ago. Maybe this could be an episode in your annual Shocktober series? Thanks. That's all. Bye. Andrew Barr, who, if people don't know Andrew Barr, he's the resident uh, Important Cinema Club artist. You may see his art recently uh, on the Important Cinema Club journal cover. Mm -hmm. He did the Charlie Chaplin fighting uh, the robot monster. He did the Three Stooges cover that uh, was on our recent Blu-ray release of Gold Ninja Video. And he may be doing some art on some upcoming ones as well. Mm. But uh, is Rob Zombie uh, this generation's Ed Wood? When you see that question, I'm like, no, he's not. That's the first reaction you want. Yeah, well, I mean, Andrew laid out a case f- yeah, he did. for him. But I, I mean, also, the case he laid out also sort of makes it sound like he's like the horror Quentin Tarantino, right? Like, <laughs> yes, you're right. Like, like I, I feel like Ed Wood... He was never successful. Rob Zombie was yeah. in theaters and he was like a mainstream and like, figure. And like Rob Zombie is very knowing, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, but the thing about Rob Zombie, and I'm fascinated by it, is he always seems like he was a nerd in high school who liked horror, but people made fun of him. So he wants to make movies where, God damn it, you're going to take it seriously mm-hmm. to the point that it's blown out and can only be viewed in a comedic fashion. Are you a Rob Zombie fan at all? Mm, I love Halloween too. Yeah, okay. Uh, not really, though, other yeah, than that. I find him, his movies unpleasant. I like the idea of Rob Zombie yeah. more than I like, you know, this yeah. big movie fan who became a rock star and kind of turned that love of movies, which is all over his music, into an actual career of directing stuff. Yeah. And if you listen to interviews, he's very knowledgeable. He does say some stuff like, ugh, I hate horror comedies, which explains a lot of his filmography. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, other than that, I I do love the idea that, like, Basically, Hollywood said, all right, Rob, you don't get to make movies anymore. But he continues to make them anyway. I respect that. I respect sure. that a lot. And I respect the like consistency of his oeuvre. Like, I respect that they are real articulations of his weird worldview. I do like his style in that I wish his style would be um, transposed into different things. And we've gotten tantalizing hints. Like, when it was announced that he was going to be doing um, a hockey movie about a team that I can't remember their name now, and sports fans are like, how can you not? Uh, that was famous for just being violent. That's all they were famous for. He also has been wanting Ugh. for a long time to do his Groucho Marx biopic about Groucho's last years. Ugh, that uh, Yeah, it's based on a book and it's supposed yeah. to when Groucho was like living like in a decrepit mansion. Essentially, it mm. would be um, Rob Zombie's Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, and I mean, I, I've read the book it's based on yeah. and it's, it's, it's called Raised Eyebrows and it's all about how uh, Groucho in his 80s was taken advantage of by this much younger like mm. uh, woman who was sort of his secretary slash her his ambassador to the outside worlds, but was also a bit of a yeah, uh, bit of an exploiter. Oh, I I mean that sounds amazing mm. and. I think that Rob Zombie was burned when he did try to step out of his comfort zone and he made a movie called Lords of Salem and it tanked. Mm. And it just, I think that hurt him so much that his last two movies have just been going back to that grease paint clown well. Oh, speaking of which, we're recording this the day that Sid Haig died. Very sad. Yeah, rest I in mean, peace. Yeah, I, I'm glad that he was able to get a second life thanks to people like Fred Olin Ray and Rob Zombie. I mean, yeah, uh, Sid Haig is probably best known as Captain Spaulding now. Yeah, and, how, and he's great in those movies. How many... He's the best part. I mean, how many Grindhouse 
uh, favorites get a revival like that? Almost none. None. Almost, yeah, it yeah, d- doesn't really happen. But yeah. Rob Zombie was able to get, I mean, Bill Moseley too, yeah. Chop Top from um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, yeah. was given a second life thanks to Rob Zombie mm-hmm. giving him those roles. Uh, I mean, I'm interested in Rob Zombie. It would be fun to do a Patreon episode where we watch one of it, like maybe The Devil's Rejects. Yeah, let's that's do that. His, so that'll probably be coming in Shocktober. But is he the Ed Wood of this generation? I think there's other Ed Woods, especially in the horror scene, that like they're not successful and they're just kind of toiling away and one day maybe their films will be discovered mm-hmm. so as per usual you can send us letters at important cinema club podcast at gmail.com and this week on our patreon speaking of horror Ooh. we're talking about todd phillips and the two documentaries he made early on in his career that's right you may know todd phillips as the hangover himself <laughs> as, as he likes his friends to call he, him he is the joker but he once made <laughs> he is the joker he once made transgressive documentaries underground documentaries we watched hated the gg allen story and we watched frat house yep uh is it a key to todd phillips further career well you have to listen to the episode to find out five dollars a month patreon.com slash the important cinema club and next week it's pretty much another version of tyler perry in some ways uh Fierce, independent artists. Christian. Yes, Christian as well. Very Christian. Um, who would make, yeah, woo, some very uh, wild movies. Who are we talking about? We are talking about the Ormans. Mm-hmm. The Ormans who directed... Um, what is it? If footmen tire, or if, if footmen tire you, what will horses do? do? Which is an insane Christian scare film. But the Ormans were—I mean, I don't know how much we'll talk about that because it's not as meaty. But they made their back making Western pictures, like real poverty row garbage. They started with poverty row Western movies. Yes, they made uh, like vaudeville movies. Yep, they did whatever was making money at they the did, time. Did they do Mesa of Lost Women? I believe they did, yes. Because yes. they did a bunch of gorilla pictures. Yeah. And, I mean, their Western, their most famous Western star was the star of the Dark Power himself, Lash LaRue. Yes. Who but, was famous with a bullwhip. But, you know, uh, Ron Ormond survived a plane crash, mm-hmm. and he discovered Christ. Yes. And how would he share those movies? In essentially chick-track motion pictures. So I'm sure we're going to watch uh, The Burning Hell is one that yeah, I, another I, one. I haven't yeah. seen and I've always wanted to watch. So, Yep, that's what we're doing next week. The Ormans. Ah, it'll be fun. Mm-hmm. And until then, I'm Justin Glue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. As movie fans, it's impossible not to go, ah, what would make a good biopic? Anytime a biopic comes out, I think me and Will probably have a variation of that conversation. Well, it's because those guys who wrote the new Dolomite biopic, Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. Ah, come on the show, guys, if you're listening. <laughs> they've made a career out of making biopics out of unlikely people mm. like Ed Wood, Andy Kaufman, now Rudy Ray Moore, Larry Flint. Yep. And I, I mean, we're getting onto this because we're in a Sammy Petrillo Facebook group. <laughs> That's right. Where I think Scott Alexander is also in the group and he was posting stuff and we were thinking... No, it was Larry Karaszewski. Oh, was Larry Karaszewski. And How dare you? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I actually do apologize. Uh, but um, we were thinking... Come on, Larry, where's the Sammy Petrillo biopic? And we were like, what would that biopic be? Well, it would have to run in parallel with Jerry Lewis's career. Right. Oh, I'll just refresh everyone's memory. Sammy Petrillo. You don't need to refresh anybody. Sammy Petrillo is the star of Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla. Yes. He was the Jerry Lewis impersonator in that film. Mm -hmm. Discovered by Jerry Lewis, cast aside by Jerry Lewis in real life. Uh, uh, Almost sued by Jerry Lewis. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's pretty much his entire career was 
like I mean, public career that people knew about. He made one movie, Bella Lugosi Meets a Brooklyn Gorilla. Oh, he made more than one, Shangri-La. You're right. He made one major movie, and then he made several others that only freaks like us know about. <laughs> yes. Do you have any Sammy Petrillo records? Because you see photos show up on the group. Well, I'm so- I, I, I don't, but I want one. It's like Cleopatra? Oh, <laughs> Just my- do it! Come yeah, on! Yeah, yeah. You probably frame it, though. You probably wouldn't even listen to it. I do. I would. He, okay, there's a record of Sammy. The Crank Calls, right? Yeah, my son the phone caller <laughs> yeah. which has a picture of a woman's ass on the front cover i guess because they were like well clearly we're not selling it on sammy petrillo's name <laughs> that's right but that photo of sammy petrillo on the cleopatra one mouth agape looking oh, like jerry lewis gold so good and yeah this facebook group is full of like newspaper ads of his engagements yeah like, mostly bella lugosi and a brooking gorilla just newspaper ads from around that time but also a lot of later ones where he's like seventh or eighth build on mm-hmm. some burlesque sh- show well like, drew friedman who runs the group. Yes, Drew Friedman, the famous caricaturist of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that a friend of his is writing a Sammy Petrello biography, which makes me and Will go, what could that possibly be? Well, so for the biopic, I was wondering, what is the climax? Y- because it, typically in a Scott and Larry screenplay, it climaxes with, like, they make their big movie and it's shit, but it's their shit. Okay. You know? And it's triumphant. Would Sammy Petrillo... Okay, so we talked about the most obvious answer would be Bella Gossi meets a Brooklyn Gorilla being the climax of the film. Mm-hmm. It can't be. That's too easy. It's too early in his life. Yeah, could it be... Um, would you invent something? Like, could Sammy and, and, and uh, Jerry meet together just like Ed Wood and Orson Welles at the end of... Um, of Ed Wood, yeah. yeah. I know. Flashback structure. Yeah, exactly. You see, you see Sammy, he's performing burlesque later in life. Yeah. And he's like, and people are like, who the hell are you? He's like, well, did you know I once walked among giants? Yep. My thing was that it would be a Sammy, uh, Jerry Lewis, like, dual biopic where each one is playing into the other. So where you see, like, Jerry rising, you see kind of Sammy falling. Oh, I think it has to be like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, where it's basically most- Sammy, Sammy uh, Petrillo? It's well, mostly Sammy Petrillo, but what? Jerry comes in and out. Okay, but what if you just, okay, so, uh, but if you have that dueling, why not just put Duke Mitchell in there as well? Because he had an interesting life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that too much for one movie? <laughs> Listen, miniseries. Um, oh, what like are the, feud. Uh, yeah, like feud. That's what it is. Jerry Lewis, Sammy Petrillo, feud. And hey, man, if we have Larry Karaszewski's ear and Scott Alexander, they wrote um, American Crime Story. So they're in with the Ryan Murphy. American Crime Story season three. It's Sammy Petrillo and Duke Mitchell steal Dean and Jerry's act. <laughs> That's right. And the court case that came out of that. I would see that movie in, uh, I would love that. Or that series. I would watch. So. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's us do it. Let's, make let's it. write a spec script. Let's send it out there. And then when who it happens. Who would turn it down? <laughs> Listen, Dolomite is going to be big again. People are going to be looking for those kind of stories. So we need the white Jerry Lewis impersonator. He needs to have his time up on screen.